Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, one of the most underutilized resources at our disposal in helping us to bounce back or to be okay when life isn't is baptism. Now, if you think that I am exaggerating or overstating the importance of baptism in our lives, I guess I would turn around and ask you how well you would rate yourself at being okay when life isn't. And if you haven't given yourself a perfect score in the capacity to be okay when life isn't, then, and then at the very least you have nothing to lose by listening and paying attention to how baptism might better help you be okay when life isn't. It's fascinating that of all of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of them records Jesus' baptism. And I suppose I should clarify, when we, we use the terms gospel, we're talking about those four books of the Bible that record Jesus' life and his works. And sometimes that might be confusing if you're somewhat unfamiliar with the terms because the gospel, the news of the gospel, is the news that Jesus Christ is our Savior from sin and that we are saved through faith in him. But it's the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record Jesus' life and works and essentially that message of the good news of the gospel. And all four of them include an account or retelling of Jesus' baptism. Now, to put that into perspective, how significant that is, there aren't a whole lot of events in Jesus' life and ministry that all four gospels record. Consider this, we just got done celebrating Christmas. Even if you aren't a Christian, it's probably popular enough to know that Christians believe that Christmas is all about Jesus being born. Well, that's a pretty significant event in Jesus' life. So how many of the four Gospels would you presume record Jesus' birth? Well, you'd probably assume all four, right? But only half of them do. Only two of the Gospels actually record Jesus' birth. So for that reason alone, baptism deserves our attention, doesn't it? The fact that God saw fit to have all four Gospel writers record this significant event in the life of Jesus means it's probably worth looking at. Now, as significant as it was, if it was recorded by all four, it might also surprise us how relatively modest Jesus' baptism was, in some respects, anyways. When we consider the, the event itself, the location and the place, it wasn't maybe what we'd expect as some high ceremony. When you consider the angels rejoicing and singing glorias at, at Jesus' birth, there were no angels lined up along the banks of the Jordan River proclaiming Jesus' baptism. And the crowds of shepherds that came to see Jesus at his birth, well, the crowds on the day of Jesus' baptism, they weren't coming to see Jesus. In fact, Jesus was a part of the crowds going to see John the Baptist, the one who was doing the baptizing. And John himself, as you might expect, it's such a significant event to be recorded in all four Gospels that, that surely John played the part, and yet, there were no ornate flowing robes. John was not dressed in any, any sort of garb that would rival the pomp of the Pope himself, but rather modest apparel, rather primitive, clothed in animal skins and a, a leather belt. So not only was the situation and the circumstances uh, pro probably a, a pretty stark contrast in its simplicity, but the other surprising, maybe confusing detail of Jesus' baptism is why would Jesus even need to be baptized in the first place? 
After all, as Mark records for us, describing those who were coming to John to be baptized, he made it very clear what they were doing as they came out to him, that they were confessing their sins. Well, confessing their sins, admitting or owning up to the wrong that we have done, how can the sinless Son of God participate? He has no sins to confess. There's, there's nothing to own up to that he had ever done wrong. He was perfect. He was holy to that point. So what business did Jesus, the sinless Son of God, what business did he have in participating in a practice that was meant for sinners? Ah, and that's just it. That phrase, meant for sinners helps us understand Jesus' baptism and the significance uh, of it in our lives, as we'll get to later as well. Because Jesus and baptism both have something in common. They're meant for sinners. Baptism is meant for sinners, and, and as we just celebrated Jesus' birth, he came into this world. He was born because Jesus was meant for sinners. He came to save sinners. And that is why Jesus had to participate, had to be involved, had to be baptized. So even though John himself was confused by Jesus coming, and, and Matthew records us, one of the gospel writers, records for us not only John's confusion, but Jesus' response to that. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, here was John's question. He says, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And here was Jesus' response. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus did not come to be baptized for his sin because he had sins to confess that needed to be washed away. Jesus came to be baptized because Jesus was meant for sinners, just as is baptism. And Jesus had to do the right thing if he was going to be our substitute. Put it into the, the grand picture of things of Jesus serving as our Savior. If you fast forward, to the end of Jesus' life, right before he left this earth at his ascension, and he gave this directive to his church, to you and me and to all believers. He says, here's, here's how you are to operate in my absence until I return in person on the last day. I want you to make disciples by baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, if Jesus was giving this directive to his church, wouldn't there be a little bit of a disconnect for Jesus to command his church and his disciples and his followers something that he himself had never done. Jesus had to carry out the will of his Father. He had to do the right thing to be our righteousness as our substitute. And that was why Jesus was baptized. And if we really want to, to grasp the significance of Jesus' baptism, we really need to zero in on what happens actually after he was baptized because it's really remarkable as, as Mark records for us. Jesus had been baptized by John and as he's coming out of the water, listen to how Mark records it for us. In verse 10 of Mark 1, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heavens being torn open. Heavens being torn open. Now I wasn't there, but, but how jaw-dropping must that have been for him to look up and to see heaven split open. Was it like a, a seam that just tore it and you had a glimpse into the holiness of heaven? Was it as if there was a curtain that rolled back just a little bit to see the difference? Think of the significance of, of heaven being torn open. 
to appreciate it, go back to all the way at the account of creation after Adam and Eve's sin. And when now all of God's perfect holy creation had been tainted by sin, remember that, that God had this relationship with Adam and Eve where, where he walked with Adam in the garden. They were face to face. They were in the presence of each other. But that all changed after sin entered into the world. And God made it very visible by setting up angels with flaming swords at the Garden of Eden, casting Adam and Eve out never to return. God, holy and righteous, couldn't be in the presence of sinners anymore. There was a gap now. There was a separation that had been caused by sin. Heaven and its holiness had to be separate from earth and its sin and its stain. But now at Jesus' baptism, something was changing. Heaven was split open. There was a, a peak, a glimmer, a, a glance of hope. What was the difference? Jesus was on the scene. And with him, he brought hope for reconciliation to bridge that gap that our sin had caused between heaven and its holiness and sin in the world. Hope came with Jesus. And so that, that splitting of the heavens is is significant and, and the real exclamation point is on what happened after Jesus saw the heavens split open. It's the words that the Father spoke to Jesus. A voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Psychologists speak about the importance of validation that children seek from their parents. It is a, a healthy part of growing up to know that they are loved, that they are proved of, that they are, are validated by mom and dad. And, and in fact, they can point to all kinds of trouble that will exist well into adulthood if children don't feel that approval from their parents. If they never felt that they lived up to mom and dad's standards or mom and dad's expectations were unrealistic or too high and their parents were never good enough or their children rather were never good enough, Children grow into adulthood having all kinds of problems trying to prove themselves and seek that validation. And it isn't just from our parents that we look for that approval. It's from other family members. It's from our friends. It's from our coworkers. It's on social media. It's everywhere we look. We seek that approval. And through these words, the father voiced his approval for his son. He lavished his, his loving heart on his son, making it clear that, that the, this was the one that he loved. Jesus, to that point in his life and, and any point in the future, would not do anything that the father would disprove of. He loved him with a fatherly love. And not only that, but he was delighted in him. He was pleased with his son. That is to say that, that Jesus was ready to carry out his calling all the credentials were there. The Father gave his approval to say, this is my son, this is the one, this is the guy that I have appointed to be the Savior of mankind. And he was ready for it. The Father expressed his approval to the Son. The Father approves. And through Jesus' baptism and the words that the, that the Father spoke to him at his baptism, those words live on to us today in our own baptism. So that it is as if we could replace those same words that the Father spoke to, to Jesus and you could assign them to yourself. 
You are my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. How can this be? How can the approval that that the father expressed to the son saying, yes, he was the one that would live and die and rise again to complete salvation for mankind, how could that approval apply to us? Our second lesson today kind of helps us to understand it. In writing uh, the letter to the Romans, as we read through those verses, particularly in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 helps us grasp how the Father's approval for the Son can also apply to us through baptism. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, what do those words mean? Think of it this way. If you have children, multiple children, you are are well aware of one thing that they are going to make sure is carried out as as much as they and their power are able to ensure it. And it's it's going to be that they get whatever their siblings get. Now, you can throw out any sort of reason, rational argument. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it might be one's sibling's birthday or that one's a little older so they get to do different things. Here is the rationale of a sibling. My brother got it, and therefore I should get it. My sister got it, and therefore I should get it. And they'll whine, and they'll complain, and they'll do everything in their power to ensure that that happens. Now, if we take that same concept and, and spin it positively, Jesus' baptism and our baptism into Jesus means that we receive what our brother got. Our brother Jesus, all of the work that he did, his living, his death, his resurrection, through baptism applies to us. We reap the benefits of what our brother got. What our brother got, we receive. So if Jesus died for our sins and was punished to them, and, and for them, and baptism ties us, binds us to those blessings, that means that we too have died to sin. That means that, that we don't have to look forward or worry or be terrified about being punished by death for those sins eternally and separated from God. And, and Jesus didn't stay dead, but our baptism also means that just as he was raised to life, so too we have been given new life in Christ. The blessings of, of Jesus, our brother, all that he won for us through his his holiness, through his righteousness, through his suffering, through his death, through his resurrection, baptism binds us to all of those blessings so that we are on the receiving end. And the greatest part, of course, is is that very approval that the Father spoke at Jesus' baptism is now his approval to you and me through baptism and through our faith in Jesus. And here's the beautiful part about that assurance is is that God's approval of us is not dependent upon our performance. It isn't performance-based. It's not something that could be earned. It's not that God looked at your life or will ever look at your life and say that you are worthy of his favor or that you could somehow earn it. But the contrary is also true. It means that there's nothing that you have ever done or could ever do that would disqualify you from the Father's love and approval. No matter what it is, no matter what you've done in your past that that you have maybe even convinced yourself is beyond deserving of any sort of forgiveness, 
No matter what others might condemn you for, what you've done in the past, the Father's approval through Jesus isn't disqualified. The Father approves. So if we are to bounce back, if if we want to be okay when life isn't, we bounce back to our baptism. And not just the day, as if it was just some event that happened in the past, as those on this weekend will be baptized. It's not just the day of those, those little ones, those children's baptism, but they have now actually become baptized children of God. That now is their identity. They have been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus, and their baptism will always remind them of it. So if you were baptized in the past, then you today are still a baptized child of God, which means that you have the Father's approval because Jesus has earned that for you. And it's Jesus' baptism that makes your baptism matter. So friends, if you have the Father's approval, you don't need to chase after the approval of others. You don't need to look for validation in what you buy and purchase and own. You don't need to be as good as those other parents so that your children think that you are great. You don't have to do everything that you can possibly imagine in this life craving your parents' affection, affirmation, and approval. Because your baptism means that in Christ Jesus, you already have the Father's approval. And your friends, if you already have his approval, the one who matters the most, then it doesn't matter if if anybody else approves of you. Because the Father does. He loves you. He's delighted in you. The Father approves. Jesus and your baptism guarantee it. Amen.